You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself, gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do, and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, 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 episode 105. And today we are talking about binge eating or emotional eating. So we're going to talk about a little bit about what it is what it isn't, where it comes from, and what to do about it. When someone says that they suffer from emotional eating or binge eating, I think first and foremost, we have to take the person's subjective experience into account. So although we have this diagnostic Bible called the DSM, and it really delineates exactly the criteria for binge eating disorder, that might be so. And it's, not entirely relevant. You know, I don't love the DSM. It's just a medicalized way to put mental illness into a book and insurance can figure out how to reimburse or not reimburse. And we all know that mental health is not the same thing as a medical disease or disorder. It's not the kind of thing where you can just get a blood draw and say, sure, you have binge eating. So Putting aside this diagnostic Bible, the DSM, and talking about what is a binge, what is an emotional binge, and again, even though they have exact criteria for what is a binge, it's mostly subjective. Very often, people eat way past fullness when they feel really uncomfortable, and sometimes it happens in secret, and sometimes people are really fast about it. They shove food in their mouth, and sometimes they eat a really large amount of food that would be considered really abnormal for a person to eat in one sitting. But I think some of those things, while part of binge eating doesn't really get the feel for what a binge is or an episode of emotional eating as the lack of control. And so that's where I say the subjective part comes in is that if you feel like this is an issue for you and you feel a total lack of control, then it is an issue, period. And whether or not we call it a binge eating, emotional eating, a binge eating disorder officially is also irrelevant. So putting aside the titles and how people would categorize, I think we just sort of have to think about this as binge eating, emotional eating, feeling like you have no control or very little control over food. You promise yourself it's going to get better and then it's not. You promise yourself you're going to stop and then you can't. All of this is part of a subjective binge, which to me, again, sorry to reiterate again, is the most important piece. Now, not everybody who suffers from any form of emotional, quote, overeating or binge eating is in a larger body. A lot of people are, but a lot of people aren't. And this is sort of the same thing that I say with anorexia and any restriction is that eating disorders and disordered eating does not have a size. And so you won't be able to tell that somebody suffers from binge eating by looking at them. You just will never be able to tell. And by the way, the same goes for the other way around. If you see somebody living in a larger body, it really has no reflection on their eating or you can't infer how they're eating based on what they look like. 
And so somebody who lives in a larger body really does not necessarily mean that they struggle with any form of binge eating. So guys, just check yourself. I think what's so easy to say about emotional eating is that, oh, I'm feeling really emotional and then I'm going to eat. And that's the extent of my emotional eating. When I think that that's maybe accurate, I don't even know. But if it is, it is super, super reductionist. And so when we think of binge eating and, okay, we have to control the binge eating by putting in all of these meal plans and systems in place. And when we think about emotional eating as like, okay, we just have to like eat our feelings. We have to like do other things. We almost completely missed the point. And I'm not saying completely, I'm saying almost. Because of course we need systems in place and we need a lot of support in order to overcome any emotional overeating. And it has a lot to do with emotions, but also that gives us zero information about how to go about it. There's a lot of books on binge eating. I actually got a couple because some of the people that I've worked with in the past have been recommended to get some of the books either by their dietitians or just people in their family. And of course, (laughs) I just buy the book and I read it and I'm like, oh my God, no. And this is also, again, like my really annoying bone to pick with a lot of the behavioral stuff that's out there is maybe somebody has no clue what to do with their binge eating and they need to read a book and they need to know that they have to start eating regularly and that there's a very significant place for a meal plan and a dietitian and to make sure that they're eating in regular intervals and challenging their fear foods and putting systems in place that they're not binging. Let's say it's removing themselves from the situation. But at the end of the day, it's basically a list of what you should do. And let's be honest, most of us here know exactly what we should do. Whether it's you've been reading books for years, you've been searching on Google, or you've been working with your team, or if you just sort of have common sense about like, what is the thing to do to stop binging? And so I think when we say, oh, all you have to do for binge eating and all you have to do is emotional eating is just read this book and implement these 10 things in over six weeks, you'll be totally fine. And again, like for some people, maybe if they haven't tried anything before and it's a matter of learning new skills, then sure, I guess that works. I'm assuming that's why there are hundreds of thousands of copies of all these books out. But let's be real. It's not usually the case. I think also what some of these, you know, either books or podcasts or whatever, wherever you get your information, sort of lack nuance in terms of where does the binge eating start and where does it come from and and all that is sort of a list of, I guess, for lack of a better term, like the correlations of where where it stems. So, oh, so it usually happens with women and it usually happens with people who have other psychological challenges and it usually happens yada, yada, yada. And at the end of the day, I think it also really missed the feel for where a binge eating issue really stems. So I think what's worth some time to talk about is why does this happen for some people? Where does it come from? And ultimately with that information, you can actually know how to address the issue for you in particular. So I think one thing that really doesn't get enough airtime, maybe it has recently, but who knows? I don't think it gets enough airtime is the connection between binge or emotional eating and restriction. So yes, there is a lot that has to do with emotions and the dysregulation of emotions. And then we turn to food. That is absolutely true. 
But before we do any of that, before we even ask the questions, we really have to think about the rest of your eating, whether it's that day, that week, or just your relationship with food. So very often what we see is that if you're binging every single day at night, say like 7 or 8 p.m. or even later, what does the rest of your day look like? Are you eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Are you having snacks? Probably not. And if you are, are you having the full breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks? Or are you just sort of like having three meals and no snacks, even though you're hungry? Or you're just having like a yogurt cup for breakfast and you're hungrier for more. That's all called restriction. And maybe it's not necessarily in this particular day that you're restricting. And maybe it's over the course of a week. So during the week, you're really rigid about what you're eating. And then on the weekends, you let loose and then this so-called binge happens. Either way, restriction and binging are really interconnected and you, you can't separate them. So when someone says, oh, I have an overeating problem, well, then my question is, what's your undereating problem? And that can be in actuality or more in mindset where you're just sort of enmeshed in this diet idea where, oh, my diet starts tomorrow or I just binged and so I feel gross and I shouldn't eat. And so I'm not going to eat this entire day and then I binge again. So whether it comes from just a mentality of I can't because I'm afraid I'm going to gain weight or I shouldn't because I binged yesterday. And honestly, it doesn't really matter if you are restricting or not, if you're in this mentality of restriction of like, I shouldn't, I can't. All of that language implies restriction. And what do we want when we restrict ourselves with anything, food, et cetera, really fill in the blank. Oh yeah, we want that. And we want that even more. Now, of course, it's a lot easier said than done to say, let's figure out your restrict problem and then your binge problem will go away or your emotional eating will go away. But you'd be surprised how much of it does when we address your restriction. And so when we get you to a point where you're eating regularly every single day and you're starting to challenge your fears with food, like all the fun foods are maybe starting out off limits and then they become a little bit more green light, okay, I can have this. Then the rest of it, we ask, okay, what's the emotional side? But only, only, only the rest. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with and swear that they have this emotional overeating problem. And of course, when anybody has any form of disordered eating or eating disorder, it is about emotion regulation. We know that 100%. But at the same time, There is so much restriction, again, whether it's in mindset or in actuality that's happening that is sort of like laughable. We cannot address what's emotional here if your body isn't getting enough food, if your brain feels like you're not allowed to have it. So I can't emphasize enough if you think that you're coming in with this issue. Again, like I said this a million times, it's subjective. So for sure, we'll work on it. But that so much of it is connected with the actual food that you're not putting in your body. Now, here's the rest of the piece. So after we've talked about what's restriction, what's not, all the things that are wrong, the way that people conceptualize emotional overeating and binge eating, this is the information you're looking for. Binge eating, as well as every other eating disorder, is a way of regulating emotion, period. That is why it's happening. That is why it started. And that is what is maintaining it. But I understand that that is a blanket statement and there is so much more to it. 
that we have to uncover. But just so that you know, that is the thing that basically everything following is going to fall under that umbrella. Very often people talk about, oh, you eat to control, like to just control, period. Control your emotions, control whatever you feel like is out of control. And I sort of laugh at that sometimes. I remember there was this um, CE course or maybe like a continuing education or something that I gave. And of course, it was on the psychoanalytic approach to the treatment of eating disorders. And I'm really grateful for a lot of the positive feedback that I got. But of course, there's always going to be some negative stragglers. And I'm happy for criticism if it's constructive. Um, But this person said something like, oh, she never talked about how eating disorders are a means of control. And I guess I didn't. And perhaps I should have. But the reason why I didn't, so the reason why I don't sort of boil your binge eating or your emotional overeating to control is that it is so reductionist to the point that it's almost vague and not usable information in terms of understanding how the eating disorder is functional. Because when we think about control, it almost seems like, oh, things are not going in the way that I want them to go. They feel out of control. And so I have to take the control back. While really the quote control has nothing to do with what's going on outside, but more so your ability to regulate internally. And that's where the chaos slash out of control feeling comes from. That if it feels like the emotions that you're experiencing are way too big, you don't know what they are. They are just way too overwhelming in a way that's not organizable. You're organizable. Is that a word? Whatever. I made it a word. Then yes, you will feel out of control and you will need something to regulate. Enter food that is inherently soothing. I mean, think about baby. Food is inherently soothing that has a lot of properties that can really, really help with this. Now, a lot of people move within phases during their binge eating or their emotional overeating, whatever you want to call it, from soothing. Originally, it is incredibly soothing, especially the first little bit, the first few bites is so exciting. And I'm sure a lot of those like neural pathways are lighting up. And then it very quickly shifts into this almost dissociative state for some people, not everyone, in terms of numbing out. So I feel completely dysregulated and I can't feel this way. So again, a way of regulating emotion, dissociating out, numbing out. Another way to think about this is that perhaps there are ways that we are feeling probably outside of our conscious awareness, meaning like we don't have the capacity to identify, verbalize, communicate deliberately, but it's still there. And we're projecting the feelings that are still there into something that's a lot more tangible, which means that it's a lot more tolerable. So if you think about the feelings that come up with binging or overeating, whatever you want, emotional overeating, a lot of disgust, a lot of guilt, preoccupation, anxiety, all that stuff is very real and probably attached to something else entirely. Now that there's the insert the food issue, of course, all those feelings are about the food, but perhaps we can think about it as projecting those feelings into something that's a lot more tangible, makes more sense to feel guilty if you overate and therefore more tolerable. Because perhaps if you're feeling those things and you have no idea where they come from or why they're there, then it makes just not enough sense for your brain to tolerate that. A lot of binge eating has to do with history also. So what we have to think about besides for the way of regulating of emotion, the way of regulating emotion, the function of the eating is, that is the function of the eating. We have to think about the history for this person, i.e. 
just because somebody doesn't have a way of regulating their emotion, it doesn't necessarily mean that it translates into binge eating. It could translate into so many other things. Lots of people have challenges regulating emotion and perhaps this person does other things. So we really have to think about, fine, I understand how the emotional overeating is serving a purpose. And when I feel things, I just, it's not within my capacity to feel them. And so this is the way that I'm regulating myself, but also that there's a lot of history with food and body. So think about these questions. How was food discussed when you were growing up? How were bodies discussed? It's funny when I say discussed, it almost sounds like discussed, but it's spelled differently. What is that thing called? Oh, I'm going to remember. It was like the project you do in fourth grade where you get like, Share and share and cheer and chair. You know, those, what is that thing? It's, oh, it's, that's annoying. Okay. Anyways, I mean, discussed, like talked about. How were bodies talked about? How was food talked about? Was there a lot of shame involved? Was there a restriction going on in the family? Were you only allowed to have certain things on the weekends? Were you only allowed to have it at grandma's house? Were other people allowed to have it? Did you have to hide in order to have whatever you wanted? Was it provided to soothe? Like, was the prize for whatever you're doing, food, was the prize for, you know, listening to mom and dad, to toilet training. I mean, well, that's actually pretty young. Most people don't remember that young. But the idea that was food used as the prize, then that's also another thing to think about. What it, Was it used to shut you up? Like, oh my God, you're just being really annoying. Here, have a sandwich. Thinking about the function of food in your family growing up is going to be really, really important. Now, if you put those two together, somebody with a history of all of this body shaming and food restriction and dieting around or maybe just using food in ways that were incredibly unhealthy together with somebody who has a lot of difficulty regulating emotion. And that's for another discussion of like why that happens. Why is somebody not able to tolerate emotion very well? We've talked about that in the past. Whatever. Anyways, outside of the scope of this conversation, if somebody has difficulty regulating emotion, put those two together, insert disordered eating, insert eating disorder. So I guess you can say it's a product of whatever's going on around you. So all of the messages that you've internalized about food and body and diet and things like that, and all the things that you've internalized about emotions. And of course, there's a combination between your family relationships and your temperament, for sure. But this is the secret sauce. This is the secret sauce to, I guess, hell on earth, which is binge eating. One version, actually. There are lots of versions of hell on earth. This is not the only one. When we talk about regulating emotion, we are talking about two different things. One of them is current day. So things that are happening, I don't know, you got in a fight with your boss, your mom, your partner, whatever it is, and past emotion. And they're usually sort of combined. So the way that I think about it is, sure, there's something happening current day that's triggering you to feel a certain emotion. And the way that emotions work, it's very similar to muscle memory, is that our body remembers the feeling, our body remembers how we've always experienced the feelings. And therefore, we experience feeling X as, well, let's just use uh, guilt. We experience feeling guilt in a time crunch. And so it's sort of like our entire life of guilt 
is averaged out into this experience that we feel right now. And so perhaps there was something that we did or didn't do that's making us feel guilty. And an appropriate amount of guilt would just be like, oh yeah, that I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to do something different or I'm going to just you know quickly fix this at work. It takes over and then you go home and there's the emotional eating and then you feel really terrible about it. It's really out of proportion with what's going on current day. And that's where the past experience and the emotions as a time crunch comes in. That the feeling that you're feeling, besides for it having roots in current day, has roots in past. And that could be the specific emotion. So whatever you've been taught about this specific emotion, think about whenever you felt this way, what was the response from other people? Did people slash parents allow you to feel this feeling? Or was it the kind of thing that says, well, (laughs) snap out of it, don't feel that way, or (laughs) even better, here's a sandwich, here's a Twix, stop feeling this way. Or was just emotion completely glossed over? So it doesn't even matter that it's guilt or fear that you're feeling. It's just emotions, period, were completely glossed over. There was no time of day. It was shamed for in whatever way. So thinking about the specific emotion or your ways of feeling emotion and how that was dealt with and what messages you've internalized about feeling this feeling that will probably make it really hard to process whatever you have felt over the years, in which case your body holds onto it. And then present day, when you feel it, you've felt all of the versions of, again, let's just say example, guilt in that moment. Or it could be past emotions where it's just sort of like bigger things in your experience. So for example, like overall disappointment with your family, with your mom, your fear of abandonment or rejection for a variety of different reasons. Maybe you felt lonely. Maybe you had to deal with feeling guilty because you had some form of a narcissistic parent, not pathologizing anyone here. Please just take this with a grain of salt. But somebody, a parent who might have been self-absorbed with their own needs and constantly made you feel guilty if you had any of your own needs. Maybe you internalize a really punitive voice that might make you feel disgust about what you're experiencing. Disgust, this one is the D-I-S-G-U-S-T, not the talking one. I guess what I mean to say is that while we're thinking of how your present day is triggering specific emotion, we're also thinking about how your present day is triggering overall feelings about very big things that you've experienced. So there are so many different ways to pull from how your current day is really bringing up this stuff. And I'm just giving you a couple of examples, but this can be almost the sky's the limit on what your personal experience is. So taking all this information, what the heck am I supposed to do with my emotional overeating? Well, step number one, going back to the not enough airtime, really look at the rest of your food. And I'm not saying that, oh, oh my gosh, thanks for telling me I didn't eat breakfast like any of these days, therefore I'm binging. I know that that's not going to solve your issue. But I think what we have to do when we talk about what to do about your emotional eating is the first thing to consider is how is the rest of your eating affecting your emotional eating and that we really can't tease out all the rest of your emotions, the messiness of it, if there's restriction going on. So really think about that. You can write it down. I mean, obviously work with a dietitian, like that goes unsaid. But if you're thinking about the specifics, write down even a 24-hour recall. What did you eat for the last 24 hours? Where's there some restriction? You can do a food journal, let's just say over the span of a week or a month and really see over the week, 
Where are you having trouble? Where is the food obsession, the noise really, really loud? Sometimes what's really helpful is you write down what you ate, what time, and then the feelings or the thoughts. And then you can put together with, okay, I had this thing for lunch and that made my thoughts like really spiral. And before dinner, I actually felt really anxious about this particular food. And so I didn't have it. All this information is really, really useful when we're thinking about where to make changes with your food. The rest of it, the emotions. Again, so if we're thinking about binge eating, emotional eating, any form of disordered eating as a means of emotion regulation, how in touch are you with your emotions? And do you have the vocabulary for very specific emotional experiences? Can you connect what's going on in your present life, whether it's interactions or just things throughout your day with your emotional experience? Can you say, I received that email and I felt something, even if you don't know what it is. Something shifted after lunch today. Like all of these ways of pointing out something shifted. That's your key to start really understanding your emotion. I mean, it's possible some of you are really in touch with your emotional experience, but I guess my experience is when someone says that they're really in touch, where they're really self-aware, that's my favorite line. It's usually they're very good at intellectualizing. <laughs> very different things. Very smart people, but not emotionally aware in the way that we need you to do this. So thinking about when things shift, thinking about what could it possibly be. So let's say it shifted for the worse. So you're saying, I feel bad. Okay, bad could be angry, bad could be sad. Is there maybe a way we can narrow this down? Are you feeling more sad, bad, or more angry, bad? None of those, some of those, maybe it's a combination. But I think when we can narrow it down to time of day, which interaction, what kind of bad, what kind of good, then we are on the right track. Because ultimately, if we're using food to soothe, then we don't know how to soothe, inserting a bath or a phone call with a friend is really not going to actually soothe. It's not about learning the ideas. It's about really internalizing that that is a thing that you can get elsewhere. If you're using food to numb out, to dissociate, no amount of knowledge is going to bring you out. And I think what we ultimately, what we really need to do is start feeling our emotions and then being able to feel them, especially in present with other people. So to be able to be supported by other people. I'm actually thinking of something that's been bothering me about children's cartoons. So there's like old school cartoons we grew up on, like Mr. Rogers and Barney and things like that. And then the kids these days are watching, I don't even know what they're watching, Cocomelon. Is that a cartoon or it's just songs? I don't know. But there's this like sort of modern iteration of Mr. Rogers called Daniel Tiger. So those of you without kids, sorry for a second, but I promise you I'll get to the point. So there's this Daniel Tiger and he often talks about, I guess as a practitioner, I can very clearly see as some DBT skills. So if you're really angry, like stop and count to four, or I think it's four, whatever it is, it's just a sort of like stop and count and teaching kids how to regulate their emotions that way. When It has such a cold feeling to me that if you think about, you know, it's sort of where the idea came from. And Mr. Rogers is sitting there with you and saying, wow, you feel really angry. 
and sitting there with a calm voice and sort of putting the words in your mouth about what you must be feeling because I see you. Something that is so, so powerful and warm is going to translate as opposed to just providing the skills. Now, the reason why this bothers me is like we're literally showing this to kids. Kids do not need DBT skills. Kids need warm parents and positive role models to sit with them through the things that they're feeling because they are enormous for them. We don't need to teach kids to count to 10 when they're angry. We need to hold them. We need to ask them what they're feeling, provide words for what they're feeling, and then soothe them in that way. But say, just because you're angry, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to put you in timeout on the back porch. I'm not going to lock you in your room. I'm not even going to say timeout. I refuse to talk to you. Instead of punishing, we really embrace. And if you think about all the ways that you've internalized, the ways that you now deal with your emotion, and we want you to do the exact opposite, this sort of warm approach to, it's okay. You can feel these ways. It's actually really important to feel these ways. And it might take time for you to work through it is actually the most powerful thing that you can do for yourself. So that is my rant about DBT skills, especially for kids. Oh my God, bothers me. But anyways, there's a bit about binge or emotional eating. And I would encourage you to take some of the ideas that you've listened to today. You can even just replay the whole thing take notes, or just really think about what comes to mind when you hear all of these ideas. Because this is a lot and it's sort of a summary of what happens. But of course, this is the kind of thing that takes years to actually internalize. But also the kind of thing that once you start, it's a snowball effect. And so even if you don't get the desired results after a certain amount of time, it doesn't mean that you won't feel significantly better once you decrease the actual binges that you're having. And then the exploring the emotional part, whether it takes years or not, is less relevant because you're not suffering through emotional eating over and over and over again. One thing that I actually forgot before we sign off for today is that not all emotional eating is bad. I think that when we're having a rough time, our appetite is going to fluctuate. And if let's say we're in like this sort of very classic break up with your boyfriend, I need to eat haagen on the couch and watch movies. There's nothing wrong with that, especially if you know, like I really just don't feel good right now. And I think ice cream is going to help. And I would suggest like portioning it out into a bowl and not taking the entire quart with you or even pint with you, even though that's fine if you have that, that if you are a little bit more mindful and not in like this very like woo-woo spiritual mindfulness, no, no, no. If you're sort of aware, like I just don't feel good and this is going to do it, go ahead. Eating is an emotional affair. Like point us not to completely separate our emotion from our food. Anyways, now we're going to wrap up and I will see you next week. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.